Hello, and welcome to the Prospect Pod, where a lucky business development exec gets to speak with some of the brightest and most accomplished talents in entertainment and marketing. I'm your host and that lucky biz dev guy, Carson Hood. I'm excited this week to share my conversation with the talented Jamie Lemons. She's a wonderful human that is best known for her television and film work on such series as Enlightened. Most recently, her film, If Anything Happens, I Love You, won the Academy Award. And I had the privilege of working with her uh, this last year on The Way I See It, directed by Don Porter with Pete Souza. Jamie has an exciting story starting off in Arkansas, leading to today where she's a partner with uh, the Academy Award winning actress Laura Dern and their company, Jay Walker Pictures. She has a lot to share, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what you all think about it. So please enjoy our conversation. And if you feel like it, shoot me a note. I'd like to hear your feedback. Jamie, thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan of yours. And your work and your podcast, and I'm so happy to be here. Well, thank you. And you know what? You've already made it into the podcast without bringing up our <laughs> fun banter between your Arkansas Razorbacks and my TCU Horn Frogs. I almost started with it, and then I thought I would let my my bigger inner self prevail. And Look at you, all yeah. professional. <laughs> I am a diehard Razorback, and kind of. A diehard anti horn frog, but you are you are an exception to that an exception to that rule. So I, I I give them a little bit of a pass because of you. Well, thank you. I think that's mutual because uh, the calling of the hogs is something <laughs> I could go without hearing. Such a beautiful sound, beautiful sound. <laughs> and and, and uh, I, do... I think I think totally appropriate for a podcast. So if at any point I need to break into it, I'm happy to. Yeah, yeah, we'll edit that in. <laughs> okay. No, we won't. Um, I will say, I do think that we both kind of have had the same fate this year in baseball. We had a wonderful, wonderful regular seasons that uh, left us wanting. I truly thought I would see you down the road. Um, I, I also thought I'd be down the road. <laughs> and and I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm sitting mournful um, while the... Well, the college baseball world series takes place without me or anyone I care about. Well, at least you aren't like me and have to sit in Austin, Texas and watch the oh. Texas Longhorns. Well, we can, go we on can, we can commiserate there as I certainly don't like them. No offense to all the yeah. Longhorns listening. Yeah. Great city. <laughs> Great city. Without, without you too. Um, to dive into your work a little bit, you know, one of the reasons I was so excited to speak to you and was, you know, just beside myself that you agreed to do this, you just have such an interesting story and path uh, that goes along with a resume of work that I, I love and is so yeah. impressive. And, you know, some of the most recently, I mean, what a big year already. You were executive producer on If Anything Happens, I Love You, which won the Academy Award this year. You and I had the privilege of working on The Way I See It, which I felt like had a really nice um, life on Peacock and across MSNBC. And, and just I, I really felt like um, it was really well distributed and uh, a big fan of Don Porter as well. And then, you know, to go back through your career, there's things like The Tale and Enlightened. And so I want to. Before we get into to that part of your life, tell me a little bit about 
growing up in Arkansas and just how you how you found your way into entertainment? Were, were you a kid that just always dreamed of movies or how'd that work? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for the nice, nice things you said. Um, I, I did grow up in Arkansas um, in a town of about 3000 people with one stoplight. One school in the entire county, um, very, very small town. And I loved movies and I loved television and I would do anything I could to get out of doing anything else uh, I needed to be doing in order to watch TV or movies. But I had no point of reference to even consider dreaming about working in that industry on, on any level, you know, being where I'm from, odds are you're going to be a farmer or a teacher, maybe a lawyer. Um, but that was, you know, that was pretty much the scope of it in terms of knowing people who actually went on to do anything. And I went to college sort of still being that kid who loved all those things and not really knowing what a path toward doing it looked like. And so therefore not really pursuing that path. Um, I think it's true that when something is modeled for you or if you recognize yourself in people you see, uh, I think that's you know why representation is so important. You can you can dream about it or think about it or, or try to make a plan. And that for me, that really didn't exist. And so it was um, a lot of blessings along the way that sort of positioned me um, to be able to do it. And I went to a small little uh, liberal arts school in Arkansas called Arkansas Tech University, and I found my way into the theater department, not wanting to act, um, but just loving sort of what they did, just loving storytelling and reading plays and seeing them produced. And so I sort of found myself hanging out there a lot and, and participating while being a history major, <laughs> still not really, I was sort of biding my time, I think, trying to, hoping I would figure it out. I think in the back of my mind, I thought probably I would go to law school and kind of kept putting off taking the LSAT and thinking maybe something else would come along that was a little more interesting and just sort of floated through college, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And, and when I graduated, felt the same way. <laughs> so I did what a lot of kids do um, in that position and uh, I went to grad school. <laughs> so it was just a way to way to take out some more student loans. Um, right. And uh, so I was at the University of Arkansas, go Hogs. And I had done a year of, of grad school in mass communication, uh, had an emphasis in television and film and in political communication, still not really knowing what I wanted to do. But a tiny little movie was going to be shot in Arkansas the summer after my first year. And I thought, you know, let me see if I could just get a gig. Maybe I can, you know, fetch coffee for somebody and, and get a summer job on that movie. And I, I went to interview and wound up interviewing with the director for the job description assistant to the director. And I was like, great, I'll be I'll be the director's assistant. I'll run errands. I'll hold her bag. I'll do, you know, whatever I need to do. That's great. So I got the job, was leaving the, leaving the interview and found out quickly that the job was actually first AD. <laughs> it wasn't oh my gosh. assistant to the director. It was the first assistant director, which is 
if you know anything about the entertainment industry at all, it's like the biggest job on set that exists. It's harder than any job that exists. And you need more uh, beyond. There was no there was no depth that I was out of. There was no there was no ocean. I had no idea what I was doing. And I wound up doing that job on this tiny little independent movie that was the single worst experience of my life, I think. I, I feel fine saying that. It was the hardest, scariest, kind of most abusive environment I've ever been in. Um, it was really, well, first of all, they hired someone with no experience to be the first AD. So that speaks a lot, I think, to um, <laughs> the level of production this was. And I vowed to quit this industry forever about three weeks into it and just thought, well, if that's what this is, I want no part of it. I'll just go back to school, path clear, head to law school. That's what I'm going to do. And by uh, great good fortune, uh, I had gotten to know the casting director of the movie, a woman named Sarah Tackett in Arkansas. And she said, you know what? You're, you're trying really hard and you're doing a good job in a really, really terrible environment. And there's another movie that's coming to Arkansas this summer. And if you'll just trust me and let me get you a job on that movie, if for no other reason than just to prove that that's not, this is not how it is typically ever, just give it one more shot and just see if you like it and then make a decision. And um, that movie was uh, a movie called Daddy and Them that was direct, written and directed by Billy Bob Thornton. And um, starred uh, a woman named Laura Dern, who I still have a, a quite a good relationship with today. And it changed my life. I I worked on that movie. I loved every second of it. I was in an appropriate job. First of all, I, w I was a cast assistant, so I did actually just run errands and, and bring coffee, and really got to witness what. It was like to see um, professionals that weren't doing something they really loved and were really good at. And it cemented for me right then that, that that's what that's where I wanted to be. I didn't really know in what capacity, but I knew that the love and the passion and the, the excitement I saw everyone come to work with every day in this sort of collective group with one common goal in mind. I was like, man, that there's nothing better than this. And um, so I found myself there and quit school. and. Went to work. You found your people. I did. That's that's an amazing thing. And so my understanding from there is you went on to work with, I mean, you work with Laura today at Yale's production company, uh, Jay Walker. But prior to that, you went on to work with her for a very long time. And so going back to, uh, I mean, I, I mentioned the tail and line up front, but even prior to that, um, how did that relationship blossom? So... When I went to Los Angeles from Arkansas, I worked for Laura as her assistant and I worked for Billy Bob Thornton as his assistant. They sort of split me and, and another person um, and we would go on movies with them. So I had just in fact, I had just written um, a, a paper in grad school about Robert Altman in the spring. And that fall found myself on a Robert Altman movie um, with Laura. Um, just sort of soaking everything in, which was just a mind blowing turn of events for me. And I realized uh, completely how fortunate I was. And Laura and I just became great friends. She is my best friend. Um, we became friends instantly. I worked for her for about four years as her assistant, just going on lots of different movies with her. Um, and then 
went off and worked for other people, sort of worked my way up around town a bit, but always with a sort of singular goal in mind, which was I love what she does. I believe in her artistically more than anyone on the planet. And I find my tastes and sort of creative visions uh, aligned with hers in such a way that I think is very rare for two people to find. And I always wanted to produce with her. I, I really always wanted to do exactly what we're doing now. Um, and it was a, a sort of long road to, to getting there because, you know, that was the late 90s, early 2000s. And there were there were some actors who had production companies. Jodie Foster had a pretty successful production company. And you know, a few other people, Reese Witherspoon was just sort of starting hers, her first, the first iteration of her company then. But there weren't a lot of opportunities for women um, in the producing world. There, there were a few, you know, pretty renowned executives, but there, it just wasn't, it didn't look like it does today on any level. So we were sort of trying to figure out how maybe we would find a book and, and maybe we could get a book adapted that we could produce together or, um, find a piece of material that that we could see through. We I don't think either of us ever at that time were thinking this could be full time. That this could be, you know, what we did um, what we did for a living. And we were very fortunate that um, an idea that Laura had and had taken to HBO for um, a show called Enlightened got to be made. And so that was the first time that we that we produce together. And then from, from that point, we, we sort of saw, oh, we can, we can find our way here. You touched on it briefly earlier about the importance of representation and that, that jumped at me. And I feel like you've circled back to it a little bit here as far as just the representation of women in the industry and particularly in leading positions, um, you know, major positions, running studios, running production companies, executive producing films is there is there somebody you kind of sought out earlier that you felt like she's doing that i want to kind of emulate her or was there a, a break you think early on in your career that you felt like okay i think we can do this and this is the path i think producing enlightened showed me that you know, it could be done in terms of in, in terms of people doing it. Um, I always thought that I always thought a really great model for for me, at least. Uh, and, and, and by that, I include Laura. Um, I thought I, I thought Drew Barrymore was doing really interesting things because she, uh, she had sort of going on what I had hoped that we would someday have going on, which is that she and her at that time, assistant Nancy Chabonin were. Um, were trying to start a production company and and making it very known and very clear that, that that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to be women with a seat at the table. And and by golly, they did it, you know, had just monstrous success with, with the movies that they that they made. And I think, um, you know, I think Reese has always been um, a real role model. I'm very fortunate to say she's a friend, but as a businesswoman, I, I think there are fewer there are few women um, in the industry who have set about doing um, the kinds of things that she wants to do with such precision and skill. And I think she's a terrific model for anyone in any business, frankly, male or female. I think she she really 
knows what she wants and, and goes about getting those things in the right way. And in doing so, make sure that she opens doors for as many people coming up behind her as possible, particularly women. And I think I think that I don't think that's spoken about enough with regard to Reese. I think it's um, just truly incredible what she's doing. I listened to her interview on SmartList, and I was already impressed with her, um, but I I really enjoyed that interview, in particular her talking about this subject. And part of her model is she seeks stories that are specifically female-led. Does that, or does representation or female representation, does it play into your creative process or how you seek uh, stories because you do a spectrum too. You do nonfiction, you do fiction. You know, how does that play into your, uh, I don't know, your, your creative meter and what's going to be a good story and ultimately can get made and distributed? I think inherently, um, because I am a woman, because my, my partner, um, in business is a woman. And I think we tend to gravitate towards stories that, you know, we relate to or, can see ourselves in, in some way or some parts of ourselves, but we don't, we certainly don't have a mandate that we're seeking specifically only female stories or female driven stories. Um, for us, I think the only mandate we really have is the story. Um, uh, and it's become sort of when we look at material or, or talk to people about projects and things, I, I think it's just for us, can we stand ourselves if we don't try? <laughs> you know, do we love it? Do we love it enough to really throw our lives into it? Because it, it really does take that amount of effort. Um, so for us, I think it's just really, you know, what if it moves us? Um, if we're excited about the people involved, if we want to spend a year of our lives or more with those people. And I think you know, I think the way I see it is a good example of that. Um, we were just really moved by what. Pete Souza was doing and um, thought more people should know about it. And, and I think there was, we thought there could be a beautiful way to tell that story. So you launched Jay Walker in 2017. I know that you had a pact with HBO and now um, Boat Rocker. I, can you, for our audience and just anybody listening, maybe tell us what that even means. What does a first look deal mean with a, a studio like that? So a first look means that your company gets um, a, a, an amount of overhead funds to keep your doors open, to keep you working and keep yourselves afloat. Um, not, you know, money, money to retire on. It's just it's it's operating money. Um, and by them giving you that, then you are bound to give them the first look at anything that you want to produce for, in the case of HBO, um, for television. So if we have any any material that we think is um, potentially going to be a, a good TV movie or TV series, uh, we are bound contractually to take it to HBO to, to give them the, it's essentially the right of first refusal. So if they decide it's not for them, um, then you become free to take it wherever you want to go. Um, but it's a really nice deal, particularly when you're in um, a relationship with a company as great as HBO, because they really are, um, in my mind, the best in the business. Um, and they're the you just they just make it a, a really great home, really great place to be. 
Yeah. I've had similar experience in the documentaries we've worked on with them and every creator, you know, echoes that. How many is it typical, would you say, to, to have a certain amount of shows in development at one time? And, you know, how do you approach that? Or how, how many would you say you're kind of juggling at once? We don't approach it well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is a weakness that, that Laura and I share. Um, we tend to fall in love quickly and um, and want to not say no. Um, we, we've really had to rein ourselves in in the last few years because we are a small company and we have, um, you know, just a certain amount of bandwidth. I know that's such an overused um, industry speak word, but it, it's true. It, it Each project takes so much time and, and you want to be able to give the very best of yourself to, to things that you believe in and people that you believe in because they deserve it. And when you overload yourself, you invariably run out of time. Yeah. Um, that said, <laughs> uh, we have, I think, an uncommon amount of projects for uh, a company as small as ours. We're upwards of 30 projects in development. And that is in, that's an insane number for a company of two people. It's really not smart, frankly. And it's something that we're trying to uh, trying to be better about. But like I said, it's really hard to say no when, when people bring you great material or you read something that you love and you want you want to see through, if you have any ability to do that at all, you feel like, I mean, in the, in my case, at least, I feel like, who am I to say no to this? Like, I'm, I should be so lucky to get to work with this writer or to have this book to be able to develop. I mean, I'm, I feel so grateful every day for, for what I get to do, but you know, at a certain point you have to rein it in a little bit. Now I, I say we have 30 projects, so they're not all with HBO. Some of them were prior to our HBO deal. Um, some of them are not television. Um, they're, it's all manner of things, but um, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to do. And at the end of the day, you still have to do what you do. You know what I mean? It, it, you do still have to do it. turns out they make you do it. <laughs> yeah. Like you, can, you can talk about 30 projects all day long, but at the end of the day, you have to produce. <laughs> you know, if you're successful, you know, you're, you're going to have to actually make something. Yeah. You're going to have to put your money where your mouth is at some point. And, you know, in marketing, there's uh, there's like a strategy, that, the three hurdles. And if your product or your brand or whatever doesn't cross these three hurdles, then you need to rethink things. Do you have three hurdles for going through those 30 and saying? No, but I want your three hurdles and I'm going to apply <laughs> them immediately. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know if it crosses over, but I'll take them. Yeah. I need so, the help. Well, differentiator relevance and sustainability those are the three so we can talk about them more in depth later but but those are those are the three we can those are great that. those those i can think of a few areas i can apply that maybe in my personal life too yeah for sure yeah absolutely um so when let's talk about the pandemic a little bit because like i mentioned yeah. this was the early premise of this podcast and how it affected entertainment you know where were you when this all hit and both as a person and on a personal level, but also as, as a business and a producer, you know, how did the world come to a screeching halt for you? Oh, man, uh, quickly, like, <laughs> like it did with everyone. Um, I was in Los Angeles and I having a pretty good time. I mean, 
my partner, Laura, had just won an Academy Award for her beautiful performance in Marriage Story. Things were going great. Uh, we were deep in production on The Way I See It, um, about three quarters of the, of the way through the film, probably, and working really hard uh, at that. And started hearing rumors that things were really going to start shutting down. And, and, and we had just um, we had just come on to this animated short. Uh, that you mentioned before called If Anything Happens, I Love You. And we were having our first screening, our first sort of sort of semi-public screening uh, of that film on a Wednesday night at, uh, at a place called UTA. And during the day of the screening, people kept sort of going back and forth like, I think this might get canceled. This, we're maybe not going to have this. And we, we did have it. Um, and at the screening, people were really starting to say, I, I think we're... I think things are about to shut down. I think this is going to be real. And that was on a Wednesday. And on Sunday of that week, I think I was on a plane to Arkansas. And I think I need to get out of town for a minute. I'm not sure what's, I don't want to get stuck and not be able to leave. We were hearing that like flights were going to be canceled and, and it was crazy. And, you know, we did have a movie that we were um, racing to finish because, uh, our whole goal with making that documentary was to get it out before the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. And that was going to happen pandemic or not. So we immediately shifted into how do we do this? How do we, how do we finish this film? How do we post this film? How do we publicize this film? How do we get anybody to see this film? Um, where is it going to be shown? It, will there be movie theaters at, at that time? Like it was, an upending career-wise, like I could never have imagined, not to mention personally. And, you know, look, I'm very fortunate. I didn't get COVID. I, I, you know, the, by and large, all my family and friends safely made it through that time. And I know it was far worse personally for so many people than it was to even, you know, to even talk about it being, uh, a complication professionally feels, yeah. I don't know, like tone deaf, um, right? Because so many people are suffering and, and will suffer for years years to come because of it. But if you're looking at it on just a practical sort of how do we finish a film level, it was it was um, an earthquake like we we certainly never could have seen coming. And you said you were three quarters in. What did you have left? Were you down to like interviews or like B-roll or what, what were you down to? Yeah, we, we, we had most of the B-roll. We were down to a few um, really pivotal interviews. We had um, Ambassador Power left to do. Um, and we had the, the hero interview with Pete, which is pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> We've been following the guy for a couple of years and we really were ready to, to sort of sit down and do the big, beautiful cinematic interview with him and, and, and had to to pivot yeah wow that that is pretty dramatic and yeah you know and i'm sure like and again i totally agree like it, it feels a little tone deaf at times but talking purely professional in some ways i know that uh, there was a, a sense of almost like relief or like to even have a film that far into production at that time, because, you know, so many were getting dropped off and just totally dead in the water. And so if if you had one enough in the can to, you know, see a a way to finish it, you were like, okay, 
I can at least, at least got like, you know, this one film that's going to move forward. Totally. And it, and it gave us, I, I think, uh, I think all of us would, would agree that um, it was a good distraction from the sort of atrocities of the world in a way. And, and oddly enough, it sort of had been for us even pre pandemic because, you know, I think you can, by watching the film, probably guess where we all went, uh, lean politically, at least on the, the global scale of things and right. making that movie had been, had been such a, a comfort in a way, sort of living through the Trump administration because we had this other amazing stuff to look at. Um, and this reminder constantly of, of what things can be like or what at least humanity in that office can look like. So it had been, um, a great distraction in that way. And then, and then with regard to the pandemic, it was, you know, we were all locked in our, our respective rooms and our homes, just focused on this one thing, um, trying to get this movie finished. Um, and it took, it took all, uh, all we had to, to get it finished. And I think maybe gave us at least an outlet to not just be in utter horror, um, all the time yeah, or just abject terror. Right. Now coming, now that we're, we're seeing the light of day on the other side of that and you know, vaccines are, are available and, yeah. and so forth. What, what is life like now? Are you just rushing into production or do you feel like it's kind of chaotic around you to try to, with so many things that you're, you're juggling and so many options for, you know, what you have on your board right now, you know, what's it, what's production look like now for you? Hot back summer, baby. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, look, so grateful to be vaccinated and, and to see things start to open up. I think there's this, I think there's still a lot of uh, apprehension about going full bore into production. I, I mean, a lot are going. Mm-hmm. I think there's still a lot of wait and see. And that said, you know, I, I think movies are always going to be made and we're always going to figure it out and, and protocols are are in place now that I think will probably stick. I think it's all, I think it's going to look different and that's okay. I think that's good. I think that, you know, we adapt and adapt and survive. And yeah, we're, you know, we have, we have a few things um, that I think God willing will hopefully shoot by the end of the year um, and, and, and just get back into, back into the swing of it. Um, And I think, Outside production, I think things look different, maybe permanently for us. Um, uh, our company gave up our office. I think remote work is probably going to be where we are um, for the foreseeable future because I think we've made it work in a really economic and efficient way. Yeah. We, we we really, I think it was you know one of the good lessons out of it is that we didn't need a lot of the bells and whistles. I think we thought we did. Mm-hmm. I think we get just as much done if not more the way we're working now and i and i think it helps with a balance of that sort of work-life thing that everybody's always trying to figure out right um i think it works for us and and maybe and maybe it works for us because we're a small company but um i think that's a change that will that will stick with you you alluded to me being in arkansas earlier and i am and i love it um And I think I can really do my job well here while I'm here and and be in L.A. when I need to be and, and happily. Yeah, I feel very fortunate to be able to sit yeah. in Austin 
you know, all day, every day and pop into New York, LA when, when necessary. When necessary. Yeah. Two things come to mind here. I want to know, you know, if there's anything you have coming up that you're excited about and I want to know anything you can tell me there, but I also, you mentioned, you just saying, you know, things are going to look different and that's okay. Do you have this, you know, we all love the movies and like going to the movies and that's such a, yeah. I think a part of those of us that work in entertainment, but exhibition could look and does already look so much different now mm-hmm. than it has, you know, where do you land on the scale? Are you excited about it? And it's, it's a good thing or it gives you a little bit of apprehension. I mean, I think it, it, both, uh, maybe yeah. both. I yeah. don't think that movie theaters are ever going to go away. I think it's too beautiful an experience and too rare an experience. Um, it's There's something about going there that is unlike anything else. I worry that going there for an independent movie that made a splash at Sundance is going to be an event thing anymore. You know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how, what the long term of that's going to look like. And I'm certainly not the expert. You should be asking about, you know, the, the economics and the corporate structure of, of theatrical um, right. distribution. But I don't know. I mean, when people have 85 inch TVs at home theaters at home and they can see um, movies at their fingertips, really extraordinary movies at their fingertips, like uh, it's going it, to it, it takes a lot to get a family of four. Takes a lot of money to get a family of four to be able to have the the luxury mm-hmm. to go to the movies. Um, yeah, but I think that was a problem before the pandemic, and maybe this sped up the answers that need to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I, am I going to want to see Star Wars on my couch? Probably not. Right. But I'm also lazy. I'm also really lazy, Carson. So maybe. I, um, I mean, look, I would watch <laughs> Star Wars on my couch. I mean, I, I, who am I kidding? So would I. I mean, totally fine with being able to pause it and get up and get my drink. Me too. You know, like, I'm good with that. Because I, I, do, I really yeah. like being at home. I do too. I do too. And uh, I, I, you know, I feel a little bit bad. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of want to, with theaters, you touched on it with the big TVs. You know, used to, I felt like you needed to go to the theater because they had the technology that made that film amazing. And now technology has come such a, a way that and the theaters didn't didn't and so totally. you know it's like the, the I mean the technology is better than our eyes our, our, right. our eyes can't meet the technology exactly so. exactly it's like the floors are still sticky and you have the same audio system yeah. as my buddy down the street the head so, the like, headrests I mean I don't yeah. want to go a minute yeah. stop to the headrests so yeah yeah so I don't you know I don't know I I feel sad that that maybe kids, um, you know, don't won't have as frequent an experience in the movie theaters as we did when we were kids. But, um, and I want the great ones. I want them all to survive. I don't want, I don't want anybody losing their jobs, but right. uh, you know, particularly the, the, you know, you want the Paris theater and, and New York to, to survive and thank God Netflix bought it. But then you right. think about it and it's like, but Netflix bought it. But, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what the future looks like there, but um, but there's sure a, a lot of content. I hope there's a little bit of maybe like a, a ricochet maybe effect where you know maybe our in theater movie experience is 
dwindling, but hopefully that swings to, well, maybe we'll go to the, the theater more. Maybe we'll go see maybe. live theater productions more because yeah. that will become kind of unusual again. And like, yeah. oh, what a big deal. And how cool to see these people in person. And so Absolutely. I, I, think, I think those experiences could get another better, longer, much needed look too. So Yeah, I, I think there's always overcorrection um, and then things write themselves. And, you know, balance is found again until it's not. And, you know, yeah, things things just keep keep changing and morphing. And I all, all I can do is, is just try to stay focused on story and the kinds of things we want to want to work on. And, and just as Laura says it a lot. Um, keep your eyes on your own paper. Right. What. Uh, so on that note, what what. Do you have, you know, moving forward right now that you could maybe tease for us and get us all excited about? What are you excited about right now? I'm excited about so much that I can't talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. I want to tell yeah. you, I'm going to call you after this is over and tell you all the graphics you're going to design for me. But okay. um, I, yeah, we have, um, we have a couple great things that, um, that we hope to to be moving forward with really soon that I can't talk about, but we also have, you know, we have a project with Issa Ray that we're really excited about um, that's set in Arkansas. So you can imagine my excitement there. Yeah. Um, that's a vehicle for Laura and Issa to, to be in together. We have a, we have a drama with Alex Gibney who I'm just worshipful of as a fan. Um, and he has proved to be, just worthy of that as a human being. So it's really fun yeah. to work with him. Um, so we have, you know, we have some fun stuff coming up and I'm really excited about the stuff I can't talk about. I read a little bit about that Issa Rae project. Um, is it called Summer Girls or? It's called The Dolls. The Dolls. Okay. Yeah. I don't know where I got Summer Girls, but um, I, I read briefly about that. It did sound very interesting and I, if you like if you like great. cabbage patch dolls and racism it's yeah. it's for you <laughs> wow what a mix <laughs> i don't know is that is that on anybody's like um, i don't know instagram profile I don't know. it will be <laughs> uh, cabbage patch dolls and racism and you know what i i don't know it seems like you have two good people to, to pull that off because uh, not not many can i think they're going to be bananas good together i can't wait to see them go toe to toe Right. Well, so my kind of final bit here on, on the show is I do like to see if anybody has any big predictions of the future. And this, again, kind of coming out of like entertainment into the future and all that um, the fast forwarding that the industry has seen over the past year, you know, is there anything you feel like, you know what, big prediction for the industry is X or I could see things trending this way or anything that you'd be willing to kind of put on the line there? I'm going to say a decline in the real housewives. I think you're right. I think we're going to get fewer cities. I, by the way, I don't watch that. And so I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure that sentence made sense, but it felt right. Well, um, it did make sense, and I'm not going to tell you how I know, but okay. um, <laughs> but it does make sense. That I do. I also am going to predict. I'm going to say it right here that the 2022 College World Series champions will be the Arkansas Razorbacks, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you right now that the Arkansas Razorback basketball team will be, thanks to Coach Eric Musselman, in the Final Four next year. Wow. 
Those are bold. Um, I wish I could be as confident as you, but you know, we've lost our coach. He's going to come battle you now. We've got a new guy. I, I'm, I'm very up in the air and kind of I hate that for you. I know. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. I felt, <laughs> yeah, I can feel the sympathy. Um, well, Jamie, thank you so much for your time. Oh my gosh. You're clearly very busy. And the fact that you would, uh, you know, honor us with an hour of your day is is really appreciative. I, I mean that very wholeheartedly. So thank you for, for participating. Well, you are you are a joy. And if anyone ever sees my logo, Carson designed it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Carson's shout responsible out Big Star. for the shout yeah. out Big Star for the Jay Walker Pictures logo, which we love. Yes. Well, um, thank you very much. Thanks, Carson.